Well, good morning. You might have heard uh, of the Ashes Baking Company, uh, a Christian-owned bakery in Northern Ireland. And a few years ago, uh, they were asked to bake a cake uh, celebrating uh, same-sex marriage uh, for a gay rights event. Now, they graciously refused to bake the cake. Um, The organisation was built around Christian principles. But they were taken to court and they were fined by the Equality Commission for Northern Ireland. And this is just uh, one of the latest examples of how difficult it can be to live as a Christian in the world. This example kind of made the press, but many, many examples of how uh, difficult Christians find it never, never get heard about by anybody else. Now this morning's passage uh, comes in straight from where last week's passage finished. If you remember, uh, Jesus was telling his listeners about the coming of the Son of Man, the trials that this would bring, and most seriously of all, God's judgment on mankind, where some people would be taken up to heaven, whilst others would face eternal separation from him and, and punishment. Therefore, Jesus uh, tells his disciples and those listening a parable to help them to keep going in the light of the difficulty and the troubles ahead in those last days. And since we, like Jesus' listeners and Ash's Bacon Company, uh, are in those last days, we would do well to heed uh, what Jesus has to say uh, as well. So my first point is pray continually. Pray continually. Let's look at verse 1 together. So verse 1, And he, that's Jesus, Jesus told them a parable, to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So the explicit reason that Luke, uh, the writer of this passage, uh, gives us for Jesus' telling of this parable is that, like it says in verse 1, we would know that we, were, we ought always to pray so that we would not lose heart. We ought always to pray so that we would not lose heart. And there's a lot of comfort, I think, that we can take from this. Obviously, God cares for his people. He doesn't wish anybody to be lost. God understands that these last days are difficult. They're full of trials, and so what better way for us to stay close to him than to confide in him frequently through prayer? Now, those of, you here, those of you here today may be at very different ends of the, of the spiritual spectrum. Some of you will be, will be certain of your relationship with Jesus. Uh, you've committed to him as your Lord and Saviour, but others of you might be down right at the other end, and you're still asking questions and, and in no way convinced of uh, who Jesus is. Well, first of all, let me say, uh, wherever you are on this spectrum, uh, you know, you're all very welcome, and... Many of you may have asked, you know, what, is, what is the point of prayer? Uh, if God is, is all-knowing, if God is well aware of, of our needs and what we're going through, why, why should we bother asking him? Well, interestingly, Luke picks up uh, on this point throughout his gospel with his portrayal of Jesus. Jesus is said to have prayed to God, his father, frequently. For example, uh, all night before choosing his 12 disciples in in chapter 6. You can have a look at that later. Or, famously, before he was crucified, uh, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane in chapter 22. 
Prayer is, in fact, more for our benefit uh, than God's. Uh, One writer, a chap called Daryl Bock, uh, states this. Prayer is one of the mechanisms of relationship that God gives to his children to be in touch with him. God may not need prayer, but we do. Jesus knows, in these last days, we need to be in touch with him. We need to be relying on God, so he reminds us that continual prayer is the key to spiritual endurance. God, inexplicably, wants to know us. If we, if we neglect to pray, then it is to our serious spiritual detriment. God cares so much about our spiritual well-being, he goes out of his way to tell us how we can stay close to him. So how often should we pray then? Well, according to Luke, the answer is always. Yet we don't pray like that, do we? And why do you think that is? What makes you not pray when you should? Is it guilt? Is it a sense that nothing will change? For many here, including myself, it will be that we just feel too busy and simply getting through the day uh, saps away the best of our energies. And it's easy for us to be discouraged in this, isn't it? But let's take heart that Jesus' very point on uh, on telling us this parable is to show us that we must pray on and that we must not lose heart. Now think about when, for you, you might uh, be able to pray most effectively. Uh, For many, it might be in the morning. Uh, For others, when when you're on the bus or you're walking into town. Whatever your situation, have a think when it is when it is that you have some sort of time that you can carve out uh, to spending talking uh, to your heavenly Father. Many years ago. Uh, a man called uh, George McCluskey started a family. He decided to uh, invest one hour every day in prayer because he wanted his children uh, to follow Christ. So every day between 11 and noon, he prayed uh, for the next three generations. Now, initially, not not a great deal happened, but as the years went by, uh, his two daughters... Uh, committed their lives to Christ, and they married men who went into the ministry. Uh, These two couples uh, produced uh, four girls and one boy. Uh, Each of the girls married a minister, and the boy became a pastor. It's quite a family, isn't it? (laughs) And the first two children born to this generation uh, were both boys as well, and after leaving secondary school, uh, the two cousins chose to go to the same college, and they became roommates. Uh, during their second year, one boy decided to go in, into the ministry as well. Now, the other didn't. He chose instead uh, to go his own way, and he pursued an interest uh, in psychology. He earned his doctorate, and he eventually uh, wrote books for parents that became bestsellers. Eventually, he started a radio program that has been heard around the world by hundreds uh, of millions of people. And his name is Dr. James Dobson. Uh, founder of Focus on the Family. So the results of George McCluskey's committed prayer have brought the world much good. And while it's certainly unique and 
We can't expect this to happen to all of us. His committed prayer is an example to us all to praise God for and and to follow in his footsteps. Don't give up praying. I'm speaking to myself here as as much as I am to, to anybody else. Don't give up praying. Find that moment each day for quality time with God. Well, let's crack on and get into Jesus' parable itself. So my second point is petitioning day and night. Petitioning day and night. Let's pick up at verse 2. Jesus said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Jesus' parable is disarmingly simple, isn't it? Here's a widow. She is not necessarily an old lady. The average lifespan 2,000 years ago was considerably shorter than ours. But nonetheless, uh, she's someone who is very vulnerable. The Bible, as you know, is littered with commands listing widows as vulnerable members of society in need of wider corporate protection. And this widow demands justice against her adversary. Now, we don't know what the details are, but we do know that she can't afford a bribe to to achieve a swift resolution. And she seems to have few people that she can turn to because there's no male family member there to represent her. She is a woman in a hostile world, essentially alone. And in civil cases in ancient Israel, it was judges, like this one in the parable, who would be responsible for acting as the widow's arbitrator. And then we have this judge. He is not, he's not portrayed as a tyrant, but neither does he go out of his way uh, to show compassion to the weak. He may, not, he may not care for the widow, but legally... It was his responsibility to see that justice was upheld. And again, we're provided with no real clue as to why the judge initially refuses to settle her case. Maybe he's just too busy and he can't be bothered. But only that he is described as someone. He does not fear God uh, or man, or respect man. So how does the widow behave? She comes to him seeking justice for herself. Initially, and then seemingly repeatedly, she's rebuffed. Yet she comes again and again to him. So much so, the judge feels beaten down by her incessant bothering. I imagine that she's waiting for him in the morning when he arrives at court for work. Uh, When he's going out to meet his colleagues for lunch, there she is again, loitering around, making a nuisance of herself. And then, when it's time to go home, she's still chasing him. Then he's going, excuse me. 
So the judge is exasperated by her continual comings. Consequently, uh, to give himself some peace, he, he settles her case. He gives justice so she can go away peaceably. And he does not do this because of his inherent goodness, but because he wants a break from her. So, what should we make of this parable? Firstly, let's remind ourselves again of the context in which it's being recounted. Jesus has been talking of the last days, and in many ways it would be very difficult for believers indeed. Jesus compares believers, the elect, to to that of the widow. And this is not an accident. As Christians, we cannot take our situation uh, in this world lightly. The world is not on our side. We have no guarantees that anyone will seek justice on our behalf. And I'm sure we we can all think of examples of Christians being mistreated, abused, killed for their faith. Therefore, what should we do? Jesus says we should be crying to God day and night, asking for his protection and support. We should be asking him to give, to give us justice. At this point, as a very uh, short side note, I'd like to highlight uh, the work of this organisation, the Christian Institute. You've probably heard of them. Uh, can I commend uh, their work to you as one which... Uh, you should consider worthy of support and prayer. They have they work tirelessly and uh, to campaign for justice and freedom uh, for the church here in the UK. And it may be one day uh, that you need uh, their help uh, as well. Well, what should we uh, be praying uh, and asking God for? If you're not sure, then the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught us, is an excellent start. We can pray for God's name to be praised. We can, we can tell him how we long for his kingdom uh, to come back. And how often do you pray that? And we can pray for his will, with his will to be done here on earth. We can, we can pray for our sustenance, for our personal holiness, uh, for our relationships with other people. The Lord's Prayer covers a whole load of things that you can, you can crack open and, and pray for. We are to pray and not give up. We are, we are to pray for our church here. We are to pray for the hundreds of thousands of people in Yorkshire who have no idea who Jesus is and, bluntly speaking, are on their way to hell. We are to pray for our government. We are to pray for justice in our law courts. We are to pray for Christians suffering for their faith, both at home and abroad. We are to pray for the media. We are to pray for our families, for our children, largely these days brought up in sexual education systems, for our siblings, for our, for our parents, our spouses. Brothers and sisters, if you cannot think of anything to pray for, you only need to look around you. We are to pray and not give up. And what does Jesus say is God's reaction to our prayers? Verse 7. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them (coughs) speedily. 
our God is not like the worldly, self-conceited judge. God cares for us. God cares for you. If you ever doubt that, remember what Jesus went through for your sake. No father would ever give up their son to the cross if they didn't care. No matter what you're going through, no matter what this coming week throws at you, God cares for you, and he wants you to talk to him. Matthew 7, verse 9. Which of you, uh, it's one of you, if asks his son, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Now, it may may be that God's answer for you right now is not actually the answer you want. We live in a fallen world. There are wider consequences with that. But it doesn't mean that God hasn't heard you, and it doesn't mean that God doesn't care. It might be that God's answer is not yet, because he has wider purposes to be fulfilled. It might even be no, because God actually has better plans in store for you. Jesus' point from this parable is to keep on praying. Do not lose heart. If we are to stay close to God in these last days, then we need to spend time with him. So my last uh, and third point, imaginatively titled, is keep on praying. Verse 8. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Jesus' summing up of this parable is very concise, but it reminds us of two key points. Firstly, Jesus is coming back. There will come a point when we have to stand up and be counted. There will come a time when Jesus will dramatically return to judge the living and the dead. And it will all become very, very real, very, very quickly. And when when that point comes, we will be judged with no room for negotiation. We are either with Jesus or we are not with Jesus. And Jesus' second point is how will we live in this world now in the light of that? Will we be people of faith? I find 2 Peter 3 uh, very helpful, uh, verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? What sort of people are we going to be? Will you dedicate your energies to spending time with God, living to please him? Will I pray for God's kingdom to come each day when I commute on the train? What will be your focus, your goal, when you get up in the mornings? If you only remember one thing from this morning, 
Remember why Jesus gave us this parable in the first place. Because in these last days, we ought always to pray and to not lose heart. This is how we will be people of faith, eagerly awaiting uh, and ready for his glorious uh, return. So lastly, how might you do this? Have a think about uh, what practical steps you might be able to take. Perhaps meeting in the group uh, would be helpful for you once a week. Uh, I've certainly found that very helpful in the past. Um, For the more technologically minded amongst you, uh, PrayerMate is an excellent way to source prayer points from a range of churches and organisations to fuel your prayer life and to to give you a a concern for the wider Christian community. Uh, I've known people who have gone on little walks around their neighbourhood, just praying for people that they know in the town and for things going on at church. Um, Lastly, uh, you could just even pray for the desire to pray more. Um, But I warn you, that may be a prayer which God answers with a very definitive and unexpected yes. So let's return to our story of uh, Ash's Baking Company. For four years, they endured hardship, humiliation, and financial difficulties. Um, They petitioned the courts, and many judges uh, turned them down and ruled against them. Yet their resolve led them to the UK Supreme Court, where finally justice was upheld when... A couple of weeks ago, five senior judges uh, unanimously ruled that they had done no wrong uh, in refusing to bake that cake uh, promoting same-sex marriage. So, yeah, this is a judgment we can be thankful for. It helps to protect uh, religious freedom, and it shows that that God is still looking after his people and, and answering prayers. So God hasn't given up on us. He cares for his people as deeply as he ever has done, So let's pray, uh, giving thanks and praise to him. Let's pray now. Isaiah uh, chapter 40, verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Lord, in your mercy, help us to be a people of prayer. Lord, in your mercy, do not let us lose heart. Help us to press onwards with the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Amen. Amen.